right, how's everybody doing this morning? Got a couple doing good. I'm praying for the rest of you. It's good, man. How many, just, we're so blessed as a church with such an awesome worship team, right? Man, I just, I just love getting in the presence of God with you guys each week and just, just worshiping Him because He's worthy. Can we, can we agree with that? Like, God's worthy of our praise and, our, and everything. Everything we have to give Him. So this morning, that's good. And so it, my name is Michael Page. If this is your first time here this morning, I'm, a, I'm the, the campus pastor here at Connection Church Pooler, and I just, I'm so glad that you're here because um, I get so fired up, and I see so many new faces every week coming in, and, you know, I, I get so fired up to see that because what, I, what that tells me, what it reminds me of is that God's still working in the hearts and the minds and the lives of people. That's, a, that's good news in case you didn't know. Like God's, God's moving in people's lives and hearts. And that means he is doing something great that only he can. And one thing we've seen recently is God moving in people from a place, from complacency of just being satisfied with religion, just going to church and checking the box, to seeing God for who he truly is and what, they, what he wants for their life. And it's so cool to see people's eyes start opening up and be, their hearts becoming awakened for the first time, what it means to really follow Jesus. And that really following Jesus doesn't mean that I'm, I'm, I'm having a, a five-minute devotion in the morning and, and praying afterwards and I'm going to try not to cuss so much during the week. That's not what it's like. It's not what it's like whatsoever. I'm, I see this happening in people's lives. They're waking up. And what that means is this place on Sunday morning, it turns away from something that we do just for, you know, to, to make God happy, but it turns into a place of celebration where we get to get jacked up in here for what God's doing outside these walls. That, that's what it turns into, and it pumps me up that we get to do that together because that's what I see the early church doing in Acts. And that's where we're going to be this morning. In, we're going to be in Acts, looking at Acts chapter 12. But you know, don't turn there yet because we've got one place to stop before we get there. But what I see in the church in Acts, they met together, they celebrated, but church started when they walked outside the doors. They walked outside the doors and they started being the church to the community they lived in. It wasn't about coming to church, and that was the church. The church was outside the walls working because the church is people, right? And they became the hands and the feet of Jesus. And we talked about this last week, that the church was literally the, the physical representation of Jesus himself. That's pretty awesome, right? That's what you are if you're, if you're a follower and your heart's been given to Jesus. That's a, such a great thing. And two months ago, about two months ago, we started walking through our 412 reading plan. Um, together. That's a, if, you're, if you're new here, that's a reading plan that we do as a church. We're a church that has five campuses, and we're re all throughout our campuses, we're reading this, this plan together. We're going through the New Testament all the way um, until uh, Christmas time, the end of the year, which means if you want to come to our, uh, our Christmas Eve service, we'll be going through Revelation, okay? So it's going to be awesome. So who's been reading the, the 412 reading plans? Anybody brave enough to say? Got a couple? Got three, four, five? Good. Um, so that's good. That's good. That's, that's, that's a place to start. And so it's so important for us to understand, though, that we got to get Scripture in our minds. We got to get Scriptures in our minds so that we, it can drop into our hearts, so that it can work out of our hands, because I know that's how God wants us to work. So the past two weeks, we've been talking, we're talking and we've been walking through the book of Acts in, in the early church and how after Jesus' death and his ascension that God began to move and to build the church for the mission of reaching the nations for the gospel, Right? That's what he did. He, 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 he formed the mission, a movement, and then he created the church to carry that mission and that movement out. Y'all remember that? That's, we agree with that? Okay. So we saw how God created that mission first, which means the church was supposed to be on mission. Then what we see in that is that a church that's not on mission is technically not a church. We talked about that last week. And so we have to see that. 
If we're going to church that's not on mission for what God wants, what he's doing in the world, then we can't say that it's a church because the church was formed for the mission, okay? So we need to be on mission as a church. And we also saw um, how Saul was converted. Saul was the guy the furthest from the person you thought was going to come to Christ. Furthest. Saul was out there in the right field somewhere, I mean, just persecuting Christians and going off on his own way. But it showed us that God has a plan for his people. And he has a purpose for every person that he makes and creates and puts his spirit inside. He has a purpose for that person, for you, for me. He has a special plan for our lives. And we, we just need to wake up to that fact and, and walk in obedience to what he wants us to do. Okay? It's, that's what it looks like today. And so today we're going to be looking at Acts 12. And for the, and for the next little while, we're going to be talking about prayer. I heard a pastor recently talk about talk about prayer, and he said, "You want to embarrass the the, the you want to embarrass the uh, just the the everyday typical Christian? Ask them about their personal prayer life, and, and get them to describe it to you in detail. And that's probably not true for everybody, but it is for for some of us, right? Like we struggle with with prayer, like with constant, persistent prayer sometimes, because I, I, we're going to talk about this in a second. But what I know is that Satan can't stop." God from answering your prayers. You agree with that? But he can keep you from praying. He wants to tempt you, he wants to tempt you from, from praying. And so we're gonna be looking at that for the next few, and for the past few weeks, we've been talking about how connection church, that, that we feel like God is calling his people to be awakened to who he really is, the God of the universe, the creator, the sustainer, the beginning, the end of all things. And we want our eyes to be awakened to that because if we if we're not, then what are we doing? And we want to know what he wants us to do. We want to hear from God and walk it out in obedience. Because if we're not doing that, we're really just wasting our time here. We could be eating lunch earlier, right? Right? That's, I mean, really. It's not just a religious checkpoint that we come here each week and check it off. It's, a, it's, it's something that makes us feel good about ourselves. That's not what it's about. But before any of this stuff happens, I believe God wants to do something in this church, in this big C church across our area, across our nation, across the world, with something greater involving prayer. He wants to do something in the church that reignites a lifestyle and a mindset and a heart of prayer where we're calling out to God. God, we need you to move or we can't do it. Father, I'm depending on you for everything. Father, please move. Father, please change hearts. Please move your mission forward. And at the beginning, I mean, you can look back in history. At the beginning of every major season or awakening in Christianity, every single one, whether that's in the church or in a college somewhere or in the jungles of Africa or, or Peru or anywhere, every single one has been characterized by intense, persistent, and corporate prayer. Every one. You go back and look at the very beginning of it, it all starts, we set our minds to praying. It all starts there. It starts prayer, going after God in, in, in prayer. One of my favorite authors is Samuel Chadwick. He has a book called The Path of Prayer, and I love it. And one of his, one of his quotes in that book says, the one concern of the devil, devil is to keep the saints from praying. Who can, who can attest to that? We, we all can. It's, it's, it's to keep the saints from praying. He says, he fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, or prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil, mocks at our wisdom, but trembles when we pray. Why? Because we're calling on the one who is over all things. Listen, he says, prayer turns ordinary mortals into men of power. It brings fire, it brings rain, it brings life, it brings God. And there's no power like that of persistent prevailing prayer. 
And so hear that this morning as we're moving forward today because we've seen God do so much in our church. And as we're about to pray in a second, I want you to see this. There's a few pictures I want to show you um, on the screen. This is what God's been doing in our church for the last six months. There's people coming to Jesus and there's people seeing their life was meant to be on mission. There's people in connect groups that are, that are meeting together outside of these walls. There's, there's groups that are multiplying. I prayed with two groups this past week that multiplied into two groups. I pray, I'm, I'm meeting with two leaders tomorrow. I said, God's been dealing in my heart and I need, to, I need to lead. God's been convicting me that I need to do this. So God is moving in people's hearts and lives. And we're seeing life change happen. Last week, Guys, we, we, we provided 31 students, which averaged out to be about 3,200 bucks to, to kids who are homeless or steps away from being homeless. And we reached out to them in love and, and we gave their, their families an opportunity to, to be able to have school supplies. We're the hands and feet of Jesus. God is moving in our church, but he wants us to pray. He wants us to own our knees. I believe God wants to do more, more in us, through us, I believe it with all my heart. I'm not just trying to be your hype man, I promise. I believe it with all my heart that God wants to do more, something that we never seen or imagined or could believe if, we, if I even told you about. But I believe the Lord also put it in my heart that it will not come apart from persistent prayer, seeking Him in everything we do. I don't think it's going to happen. I think if we don't do that, we're just going to be another church sign on the road somewhere. Okay? And listen, we have to see that. So today as we start this morning, I want to I I ask you a very pointed question before we pray. We know a church is made up of individuals, right? I'm not going to do the whole steeple. Here's my steeple. Here's the building. All that. Here's the people. I'm not doing that. We know the church is made up of people, right? Okay? So people, people. All right, good. So as, as individuals, think about this. What's your personal prayer life like? Just think about it. Just, you don't have to raise your hand and answer. That'd be awkward. Just think about it. Just, what is your personal prayer life like? What if God had a lot more for us, like we're talking about, for our connect groups, for our city, for our families, for our marriages, but we never got it because we simply didn't really know how to ask for it? Or what if God's saying, just ask, I'll give it to you. That's what he says in scripture. Ask, just ask, I'll give it to you. Well, this morning we'll dig into Acts 2, and we, have, we, we can learn a lot from the early church as what, to, what it looks like to earnestly pray for God to move around us. But, but remember, we always talk about this, Knowledge without the application of that knowledge is useless. So when you open this scripture, when's the last time you read something in this scripture that you made an adjustment to your life because of? Okay, so as we pray, think about those two questions. Lord, we love you. God, we're honored to stand in your presence. I pray this morning that you would just move in this way in a mighty, mighty way, Father, that you would change hearts. God, that you would just, you would, you would totally um, just, uh, just take us from a place of, of uh, where we're at, God, and, and move us where you want us to be, Father. Lord, we love you. God, I pray, I pray for hearts this morning that may be far from you. God, I pray that you would draw them near. I pray for, for hearts this morning that may be hard or may be hurt, God, or may be struggling mentally, Father, or, or with doubts. God, I pray that you would just reveal yourself to that person this morning in a very real way, God. God, I pray against pride in the name of Jesus that it would go. It has no place here this morning, Lord. God, I thank you. I love you. I pray that you would come. Just feel your words, Father, this morning with your Holy Spirit. We just love you. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. All right, I know I said we're going to be in Acts 12. We're going to start in another book. Same author, Luke. Luke, 12, Luke 11 is where we're going to be at. Luke 11. If you want to turn there, we're going to make a short stop in Luke 11, and then we're going to jump over to Acts 12, because i got to do a little backtracking, okay? Because who likes a little bit of background information before they get the real information, right? We all like to go back a little bit, and then we're going to work our way forward, Right? All right, all right, 
So Luke, Luke was the author of Acts. Originally, this book was written, it was written as one book. It was two volumes, one book. So Acts was basically the glove that fit over, no, excuse me, Acts was the hand that fit in the glove of, of Luke. So Acts is what made Luke move. It was the application of it. Acts was the application of what we learned in the Gospels or, or Luke, okay? You see, it, you see it laid out in Luke. You see the disciples planning out in Acts. This is how we're supposed to live, okay? So let's start in Luke 1. Luke 11, chapter 1, sorry. Chapter 11, verse 1. Man, Michael, killing me today, man. All right. It says, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. That's important. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us how to pray, just as John taught his disciples. So the disciples had noticed in all of Jesus' preaching, his miracles, that prayer seemed to be the source of his power. They know, like, he, he was always praying. Like, that was the source of the, of the, of the words, of the, of the miracles, of, the, of the, just, the, just the energy that was coming out of Jesus. It was prayer. It came back to prayer. And so they didn't say, Lord, teach us how to do these miracles. Lord, I want to turn the bread into a lot of bread. Lord, I want to I I raise a man from the, I don't want to, they didn't say that. They said, teach us how to pray because they saw that prayer was the key to the power behind the preaching and the miracles. It was a connection between Jesus and his father. You see that? The connection between Jesus and his father was the key behind the power of what Jesus had. And we have that through the Holy Spirit. In response to the request, I love how Jesus does this. I feel like I would have loved his teaching because it was so, it's so like, it's, it's applicable, but it's also a, a hint of sarcastic sometimes. So Jesus teaches them the Lord's Prayer. He says, we'll do it like this. But we've taken the Lord's Prayer and said, we got, we got to quote it every time we meet. I don't believe, and there's other pastors that tell you differently, this is just my opinion, this is not scripture. I believe this, the Lord's Prayer was more of a template than it was something we're supposed to recite as a religious, religious ritual. It's something that shows you how it's supposed to be laid out, what you're supposed to be seeking God for, and how to do it. And what, I, what, I, what I've loved and what I've looked at for years about this is that it isn't how he's instructed them how to do it. It's, he's saying, this is how I do it. He's saying, guys, this, I'm Jesus. This is how I pray. So this, that's pretty cool, right, that Jesus is showing you how he prayed, which that, that, that means we need to look at that. And the story he tells is about a man who had a, uh, some unexpected visitors late one night, midnight, okay? Who's going to let me in if I knock on your door at midnight, right? That'd be weird, and you probably, we probably wouldn't be friends, right? I, I mean, if you knock on my door, I probably wouldn't be your friend. Anyway, <clears throat> unless there's an emergency, okay, you can come in. Okay, so basically, they wanted to buy, they wanted to borrow some bread because the, their visitors were hungry. You know, listen, his friends were already in bed asleep. They were sleeping because that's what normal people do at midnight, right? Unless you're a gamer or something like that. I don't know. Um, on top of that, in this culture, families they all slept together in the same area, which would mean for me that's weird, but that's the culture. And so, to answer this guy's request, he would literally have to wake up everybody in his house to go answer the door. That's inconvenient, right? That's awkward, especially having a baby or whatever. And on top of all that, the man asked for three loaves of bread, three full loaves of bread, which was enough to feed a family of six for several days. So you see, in other words, this bold neighbor comes up to the door, knocks on the door, and he made a ridiculous request, an excessive request, a very inconvenient timing request. Right, you see that? You see how that works? It's very inconvenient. And look how Jesus explains this. Look at verse eight. He says, I tell you, even though he would not get up and give you the bread because of your friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, which means persistence, your persistent asking, 
He will surely get up and give you as much as you need because of your persistent asking, your shameless audacity. I'm just asking God for what I need. I'm asking the neighbor for what I need. The neighbor gives him the bread not because the man was his friend. And I told you a minute after this event, they probably weren't going to be friends. But because of his boldness and his persistence and his asking. Do you see that application there? You see that? And so, won't your heavenly father, he goes on and say, won't your heavenly father, Jesus, then he says, he says, who never sleeps and who loves you like precious children, won't he give you whatever you ask to do for his will? Won't won't he give you everything you need? And if even an annoying neighbor can get an excessive request at an inopportune time through persistent asking, don't you think you, who are like children to God, that's what scripture says, not an annoying neighbor. He's, God's not saying you're an annoying neighbor. He's saying you're a precious child. Don't you think since you're a precious child that you can obtain what you need by being persistent in prayer? So you see how Jesus is contrasting. Like he's contrasting. Even an annoying neighbor can get what he wants. But he's saying, but you're not like that. You're a precious child of God. You see that? You see how the, the contrast is there? That's what he wants you to see. And Jesus continues with this, with all this lesson in verse 9. He says, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For anyone and everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door, what does that say? Will be open. It will be. That's a promise. There's three verb forms in here you can see. If anybody's nerdy in here, you know, asks, seeks, knocks, right? And they're all they're all a, a, an actional type word. It's continuous action. It's not just ask. It's asks and seeks and knocks. The Greek word implies a continuous action. Like a, it's like, all right? If somebody comes to your door and goes, are you going to answer the door? You're going to be like, what was that, right? You got to keep knocking, keep knocking, keep knocking. That's how prayer for the power of the Holy Spirit works in here because Jesus says we have to keep asking, keep praying, keep fighting. Only then will God open heaven's doors. That's why you look in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. It says pray without ceasing, period. That's the whole verse. Pray without ceasing. That's simple. Pray without ceasing. Listen, we like to ask because we're, you know, we're, we're spoiled sometimes. You know, we're entitled sometimes. Well, Why? Why, God, why, why don't you just give it to me the first time I ask? Why doesn't the Holy Spirit just come immediately when I say, Lord, help me? Why? There's a thing called spiritual warfare. I think because it's, we, have to, the, we have to keep asking because he wants us to have our dependency completely centered on Jesus, c- c- completely centered on what he wants and what he's doing in our life and nothing else. He don't want our dependency on our money. He don't want our dependency to be on our relationships or anything else, only Jesus, Right? That's why he wants us to keep asking. And look what Jesus says next, verse 11. He says, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? You ever done that? Your kid ever say, hey, dad, mom, can I have a sandwich or a piece of pizza? And you say, oh, no, here's a rattlesnake though. Who, who does that? Anybody ever done that? No, you haven't done that because you love your kid. Or he says, or if he asks for an egg, will he give you a scorpion? If, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? That's awesome. That's good news. And I've always thought it was odd that Jesus used this moment to use the word evil about us. Like, okay, thanks, God. I know. You know, 
Was this an insult or or a reminder of your sinful nature? I don't think so. I think most of us think of of being at our best when we're we're with our kids, right? Like when I'm with my kids, I feel like I have kids yet. When I have kids in two weeks, I think that that I'm going to think I'm at my best when I'm, when I'm taking care of them, right? I'm, taking, I'm making sure they're fed, taken care of, making sure they have clothes and making sure they're secure and safe. I think I'm at my best at that moment because I'm, I'm a dad. I got it. I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm a protector. Look at me. No, you know, see, that's, that's, that's what he's saying is like he's using this to show you that even at your best, you're still considered evil apart from Christ. That's terrifying. Think about it. Look at that. That's crazy. And it's such a beautiful and hope-giving promise, though, on the other side. You know, we're like precious kids to God. And we would do some pretty great things. I'm not, I'm not, so I'm not a parent yet, but some of you guys are. And you could tell me, like, you would do some pretty incredible things for, for the safety and security of your kids, right? You would do that, right? I mean, I'm not even sure about you know, some of your marriages, maybe, but your kids, for sure. Like, if, like if, if, I had, if my, our baby's come in a couple weeks, you know, and Savannah says, you know, hey, give me some water. I'd be like, you know, first that question, I'd be like, are your legs broke? The second, the second question I would ask would be, are you sick? And if she says no to those things, I'm like, well, why don't you get it yourself? You know, if my kid comes and says, hey, dad, there's a monster in my closet, what am I going to do? I'm going to go in there with my gun and go kill that monster, right? Every time. We're going to go protect our kids. We're going to go fight for our kids, you know. And I, I, would, I would get her water every time, just saying. Um, <laughs> So think about it. Is there anything that you wouldn't do for the needs of your kids? And Jesus asked, he says, ask like kids to a father. Ask like kids to your heavenly father who looks at you as precious children. Be bold, be shameless. How many of your kids ask for things that are like, if you ask for something like that when you're an adult, you might get arrested. You know what I mean? Just bold and shameless. They don't care. Like they just want what they want. They know they want it, so they ask for it, right? That's what he says to be like. Ask bold and shameless and persistent. And a lot of us this morning don't have prayers answered because of our reluctance and our asking. Hear that? A lot of us this morning don't have our prayers answered because of our reluctance in asking, God, I need you. Please, Lord. All right, so we got a good framework for prayer here. So let's turn to Acts chapter 12, and we're going to see the church praying because we're talking about prayer. It's good. It's a great story. So let's read this together. Acts chapter 12, verses 1 through 17. It says, It was about this time that King Herod arrested someone who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put, the, to, put to death with a sword. When he saw this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to, to be guarded by four guards, four squads of four soldiers. That's four soldiers on six-hour shifts. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. They wanted to behead him. So Jesus was kept in prison, but, it's a big but right there, I'm telling you, that but's huge, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. That's big. That's huge. The church was praying earnestly to God for him. That but's there for a reason. It's saying that first part don't matter because the second part is what was happening. Listen, the night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Would you be sleeping before your beheading, sleeping between two guards? No. If you are, you are tougher than I am. 
Okay, listen, he was sleeping because he had peace, because he knew who he served. He knew Jesus. But also, he didn't fear for his life because Christ had said he'd live to an old age in John 21. He remembered Jesus saying the promises that he was going to live to an old age. So he was, he, was, he was secure. He was safe. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and, and, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. And that, that word for struck right there in the Greek form means the hardest form. So it means he popped him good. Wake up. Time to go. Let's get up. Come on. He says, quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. He got up first, and the chains fell off second. Remember that. Obedience first. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you. I'm not sure why he was naked. And follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and the second gates of the city. Excuse me. They passed the first, first and second guards and, and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself. I'm pretty sure they didn't have automatic doors back then. You know what I mean? This is pretty awesome. Think about Peter walking up and thinking, let's go. It's awesome. <clears throat> Where are we at here? Let me see. Here we go. I lost my place. Here we go. All right. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, now I know without a doubt the Lord has sent an angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this had dawned on him, he, was, he went into the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark. This was not, this was some, this was not a, a leader, so to speak, of the church. This was, a, this was a house church leader. This is why this is in there. This person is not seen again throughout the rest of Scripture. This is what, what this wants to show you is the church is and the, how, the small group leadership is just being a Christian in general is important. You have leadership in you through the Holy Spirit to lead. To, to disciple others, to walk it out. And the church was meeting in prayer led by a lay leader, pretty much. Peter knocked at the door, outside door. A servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was overjoyed and ran back without opening and exclaimed, Peter's at the door. Peter's probably freaking out. He's like, Rhoda, I just escaped from prison. It's probably not a good idea for me to sit outside the door, right? It's, you probably need to open the door and let me in. Because, because I'm, I, yeah, it's good. They said, you're, you're out of your mind. But when she kept insisting that, is, that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said, and then he left for another place. And I see so many lessons in this for our church for our family to mirror and to put an action into prayer. And remember our question this morning is, how's your personal prayer life? How is it? How's your prayer life? What's it look like? Do your prayers center around your comforts or God's mission? Think, I mean, does it center around God? God, help me just to have an AC to be fixed today. I need some. Or is it, does it center around God, send me out boldly to preach the gospel. Send me out to, to the people in my job and, and give me opportunities, Father, to tell them about Jesus. Open the door. Just give me, a, just give me a, a side door to get into a conversation and just share the hope that I have in Christ. Is, it, is, that, is that our prayers or is it for comfort? As individuals, do we desire to see the mission of God pushed forward like we see the, in the book of Acts? Or do we not care about that part? Do we think God is, is kind of our genie? 
Are we praying to God? Are we praying with God? Because I see the church in Acts praying with God, not, not necessarily to God. They were praying the mission and the heart of God. They were praying those things. That's what they were praying, and I love that. And what I noticed about the early church is I don't see them praying for more luxuries or more things to make them comfortable or even to be delivered from troubles or hardships. Hardships. What I see these people praying is taking Jesus at his word. It's taking scripture and they're, they're taking him at his word and saying they would, that they would face troubles is what scripture says, but they were praying for boldness and courage to endure the troubles. They were praying for perseverance to withstand the trials and the temptations that came. They were praying for passion in the middle of persecution. They were being beaten, and they, were, they, they, they counted as joy that they may persecuted like Christ. They, they started to see the eternal perspective in their temporary discomforts, and they realized it wasn't about them or their comforts, but about the glory of God being pushed forward in the earth. That's what it's about. Look at Philippians 1. This is Paul from prison. Chapter 1, verse 20 says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ may be exalted in my body. Listen to this, whether by life or by death. He's saying he's ready to die for it. Think about what type of prayer life that is. Jesus is worth every single ounce of pain you'll ever experience in this world. Every single ounce Fight to stay true to the calling Jesus has placed on your life. And if you're not living in that calling, fight to get in that calling. Fight against the flesh to get in that calling because what I know is there's conflict that comes with call. If Satan's coming after your life and if you're being hammered from all directions, that means there's call on your life. That means to fight through it. If you're not saved today, you don't, you don't understand what I'm saying. I'm talking Greek up here. Let's fix that today. We'll get there in a minute. So I see two things in the scripture that I want to I change our, our lives to, to live by. If we, and I think it will, if we do these things, it, it'll change our lives. Number one is to pray with a heart for God's mission. As we pray, we need to have a heart for God's mission. Pray with a heart for God's mission. What do we mean by that? What do we find the church praying about in Acts? The, the mission. That was the mission. They were praying for the mission. You don't have to turn there. It'll be on the screen. But in Acts chapter 4, Peter and John were, were getting beat. They were getting persecuted. And the church was praying. And this is what it says. It says, on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all the chief priests and the elders and said to them, when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. There was nobody in that room who was like, I don't really feel comfortable praying out loud. I don't really feel like oh, I need to pray. I'm just going to sit back here and watch. I don't know that these people were so centered on what God had done, what Jesus had given them in Acts chapter one to go and to make disciples. The Holy Spirit was going to come and fill them to be his witnesses. He had given them the mission and he had formed the church. They raised their voices together. It says, sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and, and the rulers band together against the Lord and against the anointed one. What they were doing is they were quoting Psalms 21 for the application of what was happening in their everyday life. Herod was fulfilling Psalms 21 in their life. They were quoting scripture. They were saying, Lord, you said it. I believe it. This is happening. This is confirmation. They go on, they pray. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. 
They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. What kind of prayer is that? Listen, that's so un-American, I can't even say. Like, God, give me the boldness to speak, speak your word. Speak your word more boldly. Just give me more courage. Stretch out your hand to heal and to perform signs and miracles through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Have we ever prayed for signs and miracles? <laughs> like, listen, if signs and miracles start to happen, then the everyday Christian would probably run out the back door saying, what's happening? This is weird. But it says in Scripture that that's a sign of the Holy Spirit. Listen, that's what it talks about here. It goes on and says, after they had prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. The church knew what they were there for. They knew it. There was no question. They didn't say, well, I don't know what my God's will is for my life. I don't, what my, what's God? They knew. The mission was clear. Acts 1, Matthew 28. They knew they were sent. Everything that they were saying my calling is was based around the Great Commission and the sending in Acts 1. Everything, all of that. You, listen, you want to know what God's will is for your life? Start obeying the word of God. Start making disciples, and in that, you'll start seeing your gifts come out and come alive. You'll start seeing that. Obey his written word, and then you'll start hearing his spoken word in your heart as you pray. But it'll always be revealed in Scripture, because this is the only revelation of God right here. They were committed to see the mission carried out no matter what. The mission, nothing else. No matter what. Do we have that no matter what type faith? Do we have that no matter what type faith? We're, 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 we're discovering all types of faith up here. This is the third one I think I've kind of brought up. The no matter what, no matter what type faith, no matter what it takes, I'm going to go after your will, God. Does our prayers revolve around the will of God? Does it revolve around what God wants? Not just for you and your family, but for the world. Does it revolve around just this church or the big C church? Are we praying for the churches down the street to become unified, to see one church come alive? Because we're not the only church in town, believe it or not. Okay? Listen, we need to see that. Do we care that there's 3.2 billion, billion with a B, people who have never even heard the name of Jesus or have access to a Bible? Does that bother us? 3.2 billion people. That's 42% of the world's population. That's a lot of people. Do we care about that? Do we care about our people in our city that may not know Jesus? Do we care about people in our city who may have been hurt by somebody claiming to be from Jesus and that, that wasn't true? Do, do, we, do we care about that? Are we going to the lost, the weak, the hurt? Are we, are we, are we ministering to those people? Are we, are we praying for those things? In Acts 2, guys, they knew what God's will was. They knew it because they heard it from Jesus and the apostles. They knew it was for the church to, to get the gospel message to the ends of the earth regardless of what Herod wanted. Herod was a small little pawn in the game. Jesus was way bigger, and they knew that. They weren't sure how it was going to happen. They weren't sure if Peter would even make it. I'm, I'm pretty sure they even thought he was dead at this point because they thought it was his ghost, right? They, didn't, they, didn't, they, were, they, were, they were at peace with that, but they knew that God's purpose was to get the gospel to the ends of the earth so that they, could, so they got on their knees and said, Lord, make it happen because we can't without you. And so what does it look like for Pooler, Georgia, and Chatham County? That, that looks like the church banding together and praying for the Holy Spirit to fill the church with his presence and send us out strategically to people at our jobs, at our schools, at our communities, and everywhere we go. That means there's no room for saying, I don't feel equipped enough. I don't feel like I'm called. I don't, know. I don't feel like I can pray. I don't know if I could tell somebody about Jesus. Why well, are you saved? 
Because if you're saved, you can say one thing. I once was lost, but now I'm found. That's a good start. Great start. Great start. And then you join a connect group, and then you get discipled, and then before long, you're preaching the gospel like Paul was. It's awesome. I'm sorry, I get fired up. And I'm sweating. It's all good, right? Here we go. All right, listen. Like, we have to remember, we, we carry the message of hope. We carry the message of hope. How are we carrying it? Are we stingy with it? Again, what's your personal prayer life like? God, make me bold. God, give me wisdom. God, help me to understand scripture. God, give me an opportunity to speak to somebody. You know, what are you going to do? What are you going to go to God with persistently? God, I need you. God, I need you. God, show me. God, show me. God, give me opportunity after opportunity. God, help me be a better husband to my home because your home is your first ministry. God, where, God sh- pray the will of God. You know, is it, is it the people here, is it the people in here don't know Jesus you know, would be awakened and who he is? Are, are, we, are we saying, God, oh, awaken our church to see you, Father, move in our midst so that we can see who the true God of the universe who created all things. We want to see you, Father. Show us, show us your presence. We want more of your presence. We want more of you, God. Is that what it is? Is it that, that he would leverage your family and your finances for his kingdom here in Pooler, in Chatham County, in, your, in the places that you live? Are you, are you an ambassador? You know, as a pastor, I get so frustrated sometimes. Even before I was a pastor, I was working in roofing. I, was, I, I mean, I, I get frustrated myself sometimes. But like how dumb the average Christian's prayer sounds sometimes, right? You know, I, for me, for me, it's like we, we fill it with so many cliches and we, we spend so much time asking God for things that he's already promised us that he'd give us. Like, God, give us your presence. Well, I've already given you that. Ask for something else, right? Or how many times do you say Lord or God or Father in a prayer? Father God, we just love you, Father. I just want to come before you now. Father God, I pray that you do this, Father. God, God, God. You know, that's great. But if you come to me and say, Michael, I, I enjoy church today. Michael, you want to go to lunch? Michael, what's your phone number? Michael, What's the babies do? If you came to me and had a conversation like that, we'd be like, it'd be really awkward, right? Right? It's just like, oh, that's weird. How many times do we say that? So God be with us. We just talked about that. And the gospel, he guaranteed that his presence would be with us. Or we spend the whole time asking God for things that, that we aren't really supposed to be the main focus of our prayers. Like, Lord, help me with my test. God, I need this test to be, God, help me with my test. I did that in college a lot, a lot. Like, there's nothing wrong with that, I don't guess. But God says, why don't, you, why don't you take the brain that I gave you and study and quit depending on me to use osmosis to put the information in your lazy mind, right? Right, or what, what, about, what about bless this food? What the heck does blessing the food mean anyway? I, I've been living in the South for so long. What's it mean, Lord, bless this food? Do we think it's not already blessed, right? I mean, I, mean, I thank God for my food. But God's already blessed the food. Like, and so he's like, he's like, Michael, you're eating a half-pound hamburger topped with three strips of bacon and onion straws. I can't bless that. Like, go get some broccoli. It has a built-in blessing in it, right? And so my thing is, like, there's a, here's a good one. Lord, give us traveling mercies. What the heck's a traveling mercy? Right, you know what I mean? I, I get the point of what it's saying, but are we filling our prayers full of cliches, like traveling mercies? I, I think God would probably be like, well, put your seatbelt on, drive the speed limit, and stop texting when you drive. That's your traveling mercy, right? There's your traveling mercies, okay? Listen, pray scripture. Memorize some scripture. Go to Psalms and pray the prayers of David. Claim the promises of God. Talk to him like he's your father. I'm not saying there's no place for these, t- these types of prayers. I'm not saying that. But you get my point, right? 
Okay, good. Good. So we need to spend most of our time praying for the advancement of God's kingdom in the lives of our families, our communities, our, our schools, and around the world. And what, what, do you know the, what do you know for right now? Like you, there's people in this room, all over the room, that are at different levels of their faith, right? There's some baby Christians. There's some people who have been Christian for 40 years. There's some people, I mean, three or four months, whatever. But what do you know right now for the, that the will of God is? You know something about the will of God. What do you know it to be? Start praying for that. Start praying for that. Start praying for the will of God. And just in case, guys, you were unaware, we're in a spiritual war. Sometimes we like to close our eyes to that, and we like to move our, ourselves away from that because it's uncomfortable. We're not sure how to handle it. But as followers of Jesus, when you trusted Christ, you walked into a battle with the enemy of this world that we like to call Satan. You walked into that battle. And what John Piper says, until you know that life is a war, you'll never know what prayer is for. And we need to hear that. Until you understand that you're in a battle, you'll never understand what, what prayer is for. There's a church in China. I, I watched a, a movie called The Insanity of God a, a while back. You might have seen it. And this guy was going around. He was a missionary in Somalia for a while. And then he, um, he was in Russia for a while. And then all of a sudden, this guy, he goes to, uh, he goes to China. And he, he, gets, he wants to see the, the, the secret church in China. I might butcher this story, but I'm going to get the main point, okay? But basically, he gets to China. And he says, we're going to get up at such and such a time early in the morning, and we're going to drive to this church out in the country on this farm. And so he gets up, and it's early in the morning before the sun comes up. And the guy's driving, and he goes and goes and goes and goes and goes. And he says about six or seven hours into the drive, he's like, are we almost there? He's like, yeah, it's not, not too far. And so they could pull up to this farm. And in this farm, there's, like, there's people working on the farm. And it's basically a hidden church is what it is. People are a church at this place. And so um, he goes into the place, and he, he, he lays his stuff down, goes to sleep. And he, or he doesn't go to sleep yet, sorry. He, he, um, he has conversations with the people there, and he, they ask him where he came from and what he's doing there. And he said that, um, he, said, he said he started talking about Christians in Russia who've been persecuted. He talked about Christians in other parts of the world that have been persecuted. And he said the, the, Christian, the Chinese Christians there looked at him with amazement. He says, you mean there's more than just us? And he's like, wow, you think about that for a second. And so that night he said he goes to sleep and he's awakened by this, like these cries. People are like screaming. And so he goes out and he thinks the place is under attack. So he freaks out. He goes out, he comes into the courtyard and he sees about a hundred Chinese Christians on their knees praying for the persecuted church in the middle of the night, just praying, God, move in these people's hearts, God, protect them, God. Change, Lord, use them, as, use them as testimonies for your kingdom, God. They were, he, was, he, was, they were, he was so astonished by that. What is our prayer life like? Are we praying for the kingdom of God to be moved in our area, in our, in our towns? The second and the last thing is pray earnestly and often. That verse said, but, Peter was in prison, but the church was praying earnestly. Earnestly is a big word for us, some of us, for me, is that we're doing it persistently on their knees with great passion. It's not hard to notice how this church praying for Peter is illustrating what Jesus was talking about in Luke 10. They knew it was God's will for the church to get to the for the church to get the gospel to the ends of the earth. And right now, that was a problem. Because their leader had been put in prison, and the one before that was killed. They're not sure if Peter was going to make it. Remember, they thought he was dead, but but they know it's God's will. It's not God's will for Satan to destroy the church. They know that, or to slow down its progress. So what do they do? They get on their knees, 
And they say, God, you've got to make it happen. Something, you've got to make something happen. And we're not going to let you go. We're not going to get up from this house. We're going to get up from our knees until you move, Father. We need you to move. That's the type of prayer that he's asking for this morning from us as the church is to pray that type of prayers. And they kept on and kept on. And this morning I want to ask you is, do you know it's not God's will for Satan to destroy your marriage? Do you know that? It's not God's will for that to happen. Pray for your marriage. It's not God's will for addiction to control your life. Do you agree with that? Pray for it. It's not God's will for you to just get by. Pray for boldness. And I think our problem is we either give up way too early in our prayers or we never get started. And I told you earlier, Satan can't keep God from answering our prayers, but he can tempt us from stopping to pray. And what I see is sometimes you have to keep asking, keep calling to God as if he's a sleeping neighbor. And I know I have a couple of things and I can visualize myself in with that. But we're saying, God, I know you're there. I know you care about me because of what your word says. I need this, Lord. I need this. And in Acts 12, they prayed like the needy neighbor for God to move, the good father to give. And what did he do? He moved. He moved for the church in prayer. And the moral of the story in, the, in this chapter 12 is don't mess with the church on its knees. Don't mess with the church on its knees. And that's what I'm hoping Connection Church, we would be a church on our knees, at home with our families, in our connect groups, in our prayer groups, in here, that we'd be a church on our knees begging God to move. Because every time in scripture, every time in the church and Acts that, that, that they prayed, something happened. Acts 1, Jesus ascends to heaven the church prays for 10 straight days. The Holy Spirit comes down. Acts 2, pre Peter preaches for 10 minutes and 3,000 people get saved. Acts 4, they pray and God fills them with so much boldness that they turn the city of Jerusalem upside down. And by the end of Acts 5, the church in Jerusalem is over 10,000 people strong and some of the harshest criti critics like Paul are getting saved. How awesome is that? That can happen if the church would turn its heart to Jesus. We see in Acts 12 what happens. Acts 13, they pray. God raises Paul up and sends him out as a missionary, the greatest missionary that ever lived, probably. All these things happen because of prayer, guys. So my question for you today is what keeps you from praying like this? What keeps you from praying like this? Can we really say we have a healthy relationship with God if our, our prayer life is unhealthy? The answer is absolutely not. We can justify however you want to but it's, it's not. We need to have a relationship with God. We're on our knees. And so what keeps you from praying? Is it a busy schedule? But I'm here to tell you this morning that you have control of your life. Your job is, 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 is important, but it's not. it doesn't control your life. You do. Is it wasted time? Do we spend hours on Facebook? Do we spend four or five hours a day on TV? Are we binge watching Netflix? Are we doing, should we be in the Word more? Should we be praying more? Is it laziness? Is it apathy? Is it discouragement? I've been discouraged, so I'm not going to pray. Well, let me tell you this. Not seeking God because if your faith feels weak is like not going to the daughter because your body feels sick. Right? It's, just, it's the same thing. So what about you today? What's your personal prayer life like? That's our question for the day. I feel like every week when I open up this altar, guys, when I open up this altar, there's more people concerned about what time it is and if the lunch places are going to close rather than the amount of distance there is between where God wants them and where they may possibly be. Is that, you hear that? 
I really feel that way. And listen, my heart for every person that walks through the door of our church is that they would meet Jesus. Not the religious stained glass window of Jesus, but the one who is nailed to the cross and bled for your sins, that Jesus. I want you to meet him. Not the religious figure, but the person who wants a relationship with you this morning. If you struggle with prayer, man, like, or hearing from God, there's only two uh, like, feasible answers that, that, that could be the problem. There's only two or three. Like, either you're saved, either you're saved, you're, you're secure in Christ, and you've walked away from God and maybe you're living in sin, or, or maybe, he's, maybe he's wanting to, you to keep seeking to create dependency in you and, or, or for him that maybe he's, maybe he's kind of pulled himself back from it and see if you'd keep going. Or maybe you're never, maybe you've never truly surrendered your life to Christ, giving him everything, laying down your guns and saying, God, it's you. That's what I want, Father, you and you alone. Because remember, mental ascension doesn't save you. James says that demons believe, and that doesn't do anything. Church attendance doesn't save you. The only way is Jesus. Clinging, trusting, holding on to Jesus with everything you got. Like it says in John 3, it means you're, you've been transformed, and you're a new person, and you're clinging to him for salvation. There's fruit that comes with knowing and following Jesus. He said, he said, he would, we, he said we would know his followers by our fruit by the fruit that they bear. And so if, if that's not you today, then I'm going to tell you right now, you're the reason I stay awake at night. Because <laughs> I think about people who come and say, I've prayed a prayer, I've, I've done this, but there's no life change behind that. That terrifies me. And so this morning, I just want to give you an opportunity. If you've never turned your life over to Christ, if you've always felt like this has been just something you've just done, I want to give you an opportunity to walk into a relationship with Jesus. I have people that want to pray with you I'll do it personally. If you've never experienced that, that, that oneness with Christ, if you've never experienced that surrender, that turning your life over to Jesus, saying no to life and yes to Jesus, all you follow. If that's you this morning, you wanna, if you want to walk, take that next step of walking that, we would love to pray with you. So I just want to ask you to be bold. If that's you this morning, would you raise your hand so we can pray with you? Please. It's really important. Let's go. Amen. Is there anybody else? Ice has been broken. Anybody else? All right. There's nobody else. And I want to, if you're, if you're in need of a remodel in your prayer life, or if you want to commit to, if you want to recommit to praying for the mission of God to be accomplished here in your life, I just want to ask you for the next two or three minutes, I'm going to be up here. You, you, these guys are just going to play. If you, if you need to go, you can go. But I just want to open up this altar to pray. Uh, I just want to give you some time to pray. Um, and so I just want to pray. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you as you go. Um, but if you need to come and just lay some things down and pray, um, I'll be here if you want to pray. And I'll, as I pray, you just come. So Father, we just love you. I thank you for who you are. I thank you for all you've done in this church, God. I pray that you would just um, destroy the, the boundaries and, the, and, the, and, the, and the, the hardships that have been in people's hearts that have, that have drawn them away from you, Father. I pray that you would just come into our hearts today, God, and change us. Move in us, Jesus. Change our hearts, God, Lord. I pray for I pray for forgiveness. I pray for bitterness to be released. I pray for addictions to be removed, Father. Lord, we love you. God, I pray for this altar. I pray this place will be holy. This will be a place where people lay things down, God, and leave them there. So, Father, as we leave this morning, God, I just pray that you would just be honored in all that we do. Lord, we thank you so much. In your name I pray.